0: Welcome to the Icelandic Roots podcast, where we celebrate the heritage, culture, and history of Iceland through stories, music, and interviews with interesting people.
1: Hi, David. Hi, Dave. I'm so excited you're sitting down with me to talk about your work with Icelandic Roots. Let's just start with a bit of an introduction to who you are. So, David, if you can start by saying who you are, where you're located how you got involved with Icelandic Roots.
2: Absolutely, it's nice to be with you too, Natalie. Um, I'm David Johnson. Currently I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, where I've been for the last five years, but I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, born and raised in Portland, Oregon, and lived the last 25 years before moving out here in Seattle. Um, I guess I got involved with Icelandic Roots Uh, Back in 2016, shortly after Suna purchased the database from Halfdown, and I've always had a passion for genealogy, even back to when I was a teenager, but always was a little bit afraid of the Icelandic side of things because the language barrier's thick, and um, the only photographs I had of my Icelandic great-grandparents, they looked so stoic and angry and sad. And it's like, I didn't want anything to do with them. But the <laughs> database came along, and it was just a great way to kind of, you know, help out.
1: That's, that's awesome. It is true. Some of the photos, they they look intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Dave? Who are you? Where are you? And what's your connection? How'd you get involved?
0: Well, my name is Dave Yonason. And I was uh, born in Manitoba. And I uh, currently live in Denver. I've been here for many years, uh, 1991. Um, My uh, father is full Icelandic. Uh, The other half of me is French, and uh, I got involved for very different reasons from uh, David. Um, When I retired, um, I had a whole bunch of genealogy information that I got from my parents and my grandparents, and it was somewhat unorganized. So um, I'm uh, normally a computer person, and I like lots of structure and organization, so I was I was hoping just to store this uh, in in a better way. So I went to Ancestry and I started developing my tree. Well, when you do that, you start to recognize there's holes and you start to look for those holes. And in my travels, I I found somebody who was a member from Icelandic roots and they said, hey, you you ought to take a look here because there's lots of information. So I sort of backed into that. And uh, I would say right now, my ancestry tree hasn't changed very much because I've spent most of my time on Icelandic roots. And I think that's good because I think uh, Icelandic roots is hopefully going to be around for generations and generations. My tree, perhaps a little bit less so.
1: David, can you tell us how you got started on this big immigration project and what your starting point was?
2: Yeah, when Suna got the database, you know, she was talking to us about what Half Don's um, mission was when he was doing it over his 25, 30 years of creating the core of our database. And he always said that he saw this as a way to bridge the ancestors of the immigrants with the descendants of the immigrants. So I thought, well, hmm, there's an important pivot point that this database has to have, or it's not meeting its mission. So what can we do to vet and flesh out that pivot point as more as fully as we can? Well, shortly after um, I started getting involved, I somehow got a copy of Vester Farerst And I thought, well, here is a compilation of like 14,268 entries, not people, but entries wow. um, that this guy named Unius Christensen created back in the 80s. Well, that's got to be the biggest set that we could find, the biggest compilation of immigrants. So it's like, how do we tackle this? And the only way we could kind of make sure, in my mind, was we had to go one by one by one and reconcile what he had in his book with what we've got in the database. So I took it on as a project to just go from page one to page, what, 356? (laughs) <laughs> some of them were already there, some of them we had to create into the database, and after six or seven years of doing this, we still have about 350, what I call clinkers, people that we just can't figure out who the heck they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really a fun, fun thing. Um, the way Vester Forrest, scrow uh, was created, it's just a compilation, it's an extraction That Junius did from lots of various records in Iceland, parish register records, um, passenger ticket, passenger ticketing on ships, but he didn't really do much um, analysis of who these people really were from a genealogical point of view. He did an analysis of how many women went, what ages they were, kind of where they came from, all the very interesting and helpful things, but getting that all integrated into Icelandic roots then kind of really makes that pivot point solid. And we've got 14,268 entries in that book, but Dave and I, we've been working on this together for four or five years, and we know there's many more that emigrated in that core immigration period than just those 14,000. So I'll stop there. That's kind of how I got started and what kind of interested me. And Dave... uh, Why don't you pick it up from
0: there? Okay, um, just a segue on there. We think the number of people that uh, we can count today is is closer to 18,000. We have about 17,700 or so uh, distinct people, and we know that's not complete easier either. So um, it's it's amazing. People ask us, you know, sort of how far along are you, and the answer is we don't know because nobody understands what the denominator is. But let me back up a little bit and say that my um, route to the immigration project was a little bit different from David's. Um, I spent a lot of time with Icelandic Roots working on IT stuff, doing programming and changing their website. But in the course of doing that, um, I met a, a lot of just absolutely amazing genealogists. And I always wanted to do something um, in the genealogy space. And um, like I say, they were they were kind of amazing. And I didn't think I could ever get to do what they were doing. So I was looking for something that was related to genealogy, but not quite the same Um, In my past, I spent a little bit of time in the uh, Canadian Naval Reserve and I I, I looked at this emigration work and I said, you know, there were 26 ships that uh, were documented as taking our ancestors from Iceland. So it wouldn't be a huge deal if I started with those 26 ships and, you know, documented and put something in, maybe got some pictures. So I started with that and then quickly realized that that was only the first uh, part of the uh, exercise because our ancestors, well, I should say that there was really no passenger travel between Iceland and North America. Um, our ancestors that were immigrating had to take a ship an existing a freight ship or something to uh, Scotland. And then, uh, they could uh, dovetail in with some of the, you know, the Irish and the European people coming to North America. So there were 26 um, ships on the first leg, but there's, Oh, I don't know. I think we're up to about 250 or 300 ships on the second leg. So that's, uh, that's how I sort of backed into this. And then, um, in the course of doing this, uh, some uh, somebody uh, some of the genealogists had captured some of the passenger lists, and I saw this, and I was looking for my ancestors. Um, well, I have uh, a grandfather that emigrated in 1883, and a grandmother that emigrated in 18 in 1914, and that sort of demonstrates that this emigration period wasn't uh, a point in time. Uh, I think David indicated that the uh, Vestafra covers the period eighteen seventy to nineteen fourteen. But in fact, uh, there is a little bit of immigration uh, before that, and of course, uh, immigration um, after that. So um, we had this population of passenger lists, and I went to look for my great-grandfather and my grandmother in there, and I spent days and days and days, you know trying to find them. And eventually I found them, and um, I'm not sure how to um, describe that feeling. But when you see the names of your ancestors on the page, um, that sort of brings something out in you. And I said, boy, wouldn't it be nice if um, we could do this for other members of the, uh, of the organization? Well, I'm, I'm not sure. Back then, uh, I think we had, uh, what, 14,000 uh, or so people in Vestor and I'm not sure how many passenger lists we had, uh, but I set out to find all of the passenger lists. And someplace along the line, I said, you know, I don't want people to have to spend the hours that I did. Wouldn't it be nice if we could link them to the actual people in the database? And so, so far, um, we have passenger lists covering a little bit over 15,000 people. And we have uh, just under 14,000, 13,986 of them uh, that are, that are connected. So I think the real answer would be, I, I, uh, it evolved and, um, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing, and it's very different from how I got started. It's as, about as far from IT as you can get.
1: Yeah, no, no kidding. This is this is a fantastic project because I can relate that the first time I saw my ancestors in Vestafaris Grow, it was just, I mean, it's just names on a page, essentially, but just knowing that they were tracked and knowing what, farm or house they left from it's just it does bring something out in you and then being able to see their names on a passenger list so you know their movement it's 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 incredible so this is the first of many thank you's (laughs) that i'm gonna throw both of your way Um, but my next question is that's how both of you got started at what point did you guys come together to interlink what David was doing and what Dave's doing?
2: Yeah, well, Dave, why don't you take that? I can't quite remember.
0: You know, I'm uh, struggling with that as well. Uh, I do remember a discussion with you um, saying that I was looking for the passenger lists. And I think I must have not explained it properly because you you looked at me incredulously and said, but there's no way that you can connect all of those people. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll do that. So I remember a discussion uh, peripherally. Um, we worked together um, somewhat independently, but somewhat closely now. But I think at the start, uh, we we were it was two different separate independent projects um, until we started. And then, of course, uh, there's a lot of... Um, synergies that you can get from the from the two projects working together.
2: Yeah, I would think that's true. I looked at him and I thought, how in the world can you take these poorly written, totally misspelled passenger lists and the only thing you've really got is a name and an age that's kind of often wrong and the year of the immigration on that passenger list. How can you link that up with anything? At least investor Scrow, you've got you know, a family group that the person might have been traveling with, the farm from which they came, most of the time, not always. Um, so that seemed like a, at least a viable way to connect people. But Dave ha- came from an IT background. and He can think through all of these, like, matching projects and programs and artificial intelligence kind of stuff stuff. Um, to, to match. And so he was playing with my list and I've now become, you know, able to play with his list and we we help each other out a lot today.
0: Yeah. I would uh, absolutely agree with that and um, say that uh, I did develop some tools, but probably the biggest thing that assisted me is I did have a name and an age, but at that point, David was probably about, I don't know, 85 or 90% through the book. So um, the third thing that I had was Uh, the year of immigration from David's work so I have a passenger list with a name and an age and an immigration year and that that probably was the uh, magic the the secret sauce of putting it all together and that sort of does illustrate how what he did helps me and I think um, when you look at the uh, passenger lists uh, often they're organized by ticket so you can see family groupings that went together you know mother father children but sometimes aunts and uncles and uh, grandparents and that really helped david on his side because now he's got his he mentioned his clunkers and sometimes those clunkers appear in my list so he helped me and then i helped him
1: perfect now one thing i've noticed just from researching my own family stuff When I would look at Vestafar's Growl, the book, I could see that, you know, my great-great-grandmother and great-great-grandfather and their kids left from this place. But what I would miss is that my great-great-great-grandmother's mother also emigrated at the same time, but because she left from a different farm, I couldn't make that connection unless I knew that detail. And then I guess if you have the passenger list, You might see them listed in order, but if you don't, because of the way Icelandic names are, you might not know that they're all traveling together. But when you guys put all this into the database, and I'm a user, I can go in and I can see my ancestors and I can say, okay, Fridrika emigrated at this time. If I can see her family, and I can then see the bigger picture that I would miss if I was doing the research by myself, let alone spending hours as opposed to minutes going, whoa, look at this chart and look at this link and look at this page. That's what you guys are making possible for every other Icelandic Roots user. Yay, that's
2: exactly what we wanna (laughs) be doing. And we're not doing this for the the boredom that it sometimes creates or the excitement (laughs) that it sometimes creates. We're doing it for the end users to make their experience a little more alive and helpful. Yeah, this book is just a book full of names and it's kind of not congruent sometimes as our passenger lists. But when we can pull it all together, that's where everything kind of starts to spark and come alive.
0: Just, just uh, adding on to what David said is that uh, when people ask me about this genealogy, they often think of, you know, births and deaths and, uh, you know, facts. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell them that we try to morph that into a story. And I think we do a pretty good job by the time you put in, you know, obituaries and documents and pictures and all that other stuff. But let's take it a step further and not make it a story about one person, but make it a story about the family. And mm-hmm. what you were talking about is true. Uh, oftentimes... By looking at the ticket, you can see who emigrated. But sometimes the family story goes across the years. So you'll find mm-hmm. a man that emigrated, and um, he left his family behind, but the next year he's earned enough money or he's, he's cleared enough land that his family can follow. And you can actually extend that because you'll see um, families that left, and you know five years later the parents uh, follow along. Um, I mentioned that there wasn't a lot of um, uh, transportation between North America and Iceland, but there was a lot of letter writing so a lot of the immigrants uh, did write back and it is interesting to see the families and just you know some families everybody immigrates uh, over a number of years some families nobody emigrates and of course uh, we have everything in between yeah
1: my next question is during the research and the years that you guys have spent on this is there something that was most challenging in doing the work or most rewarding? You could, if you have an example of either or both, I'd be curious to know, is it is it the tricky names? Is it the name change when they get here? Is it just dense records?
2: For me, the most rewarding thing is the advent of new technology that has allowed us to open doors that weren't there before. For example, when I started six, seven years ago, the Icelandic archives did not have the parish registers or any of the underlying documents from which Fester Farsgrau is based, they weren't imaged and available. Mm -hmm. Now that they are, we can take some of those really common names that maybe don't have a place from which they started, and we can get at the underlying documents. We can get at the annual parish registers where they took a census every year and we can track somebody from farm to farm or county to county and ensure that that's the same person that's investor Far growl, 99%. I think we're really happy when we get to confidence levels of 90, 95%, but we won't like just plug somebody into the database unless we're really sure that's the, the person. Um, so that's the reward is that the real hunt and find and capture, you know, um, that's just really fun. And of course the frustrating is just the opposite of that. It's it's the Jon Jön uh that left at age 25 from who knows what farm, you know, what are we ever gonna do with that guy? Oftentimes we can find them over here on this side of the pond that helps solve the problem of who they really were, who their ancestors are. and. Other times, you know, with a name like that, you'd, you'd never get it. So I don't know what we'll do with the 350 that we haven't yet solved. Willie, who is another member of this team and a very important member of this team, came on board about a year or two ago. He is an excellent researcher in the Icelandic yeah. records, the original Icelandic records. And he will trail somebody for hours and either conclude that he's got a dead end or he'll find the guy. And Mm -hmm. um, he's really helped us solve a lot of our clinkers.
0: So my answer is a little bit different. Uh, I think challenges uh, over time, there have been many. And uh, as you work with the records, uh, the the uh, challenges sort of go away. But the one that uh, strikes me right now is how different writing was. So Mm -hmm. the letters were formed differently in the 19th century. And even numbers, Um, you look at a a 1 and it might be a 7 or a a 3 and an 8, a lot of confusion. But after looking at many, 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 many uh, passenger lists, I think uh, I understand uh, how they made their letters back then. So that was sort of an interesting challenge, an unexpected challenge. Um, My benefit, I I really have two things that uh, I really enjoy uh, doing. Um, the first is, um, if you think of this as a puzzle, you know, my wife does jumbles in the morning and crossword puzzles. Uh, to me, this is like a crossword puzzle. So the same joy that you get out of finishing a crossword puzzle is uh, is what happens to me when I, you know, finish the last person on a page or I find a family or I, I find people that uh, I was unable to connect before. Um, I've gone through a couple passes and one of the things that I'm amazed at is that uh, when I first started... Um, I couldn't connect people, and after doing it for four or five years, I come back to the same page, and it's now obvious to me, and I'm not sure what that difference is, but the the biggest benefit, I think, is the camaraderie between Willie and David and myself, and we work very independently, but uh, we do send uh, emails back and forth. Uh, It's a little bit bursty. We may not talk for a week, but then we may have a dozen emails over the course of uh, an hour or so, and uh, just working together, and the work is, um, it it supports one another. So the the analogy that I sometimes use is that if you're doing a crossword, you know, you look at the acrosses and you go as far as you can, and then you do the downs and you find that you got another set of information that comes uh, available. Now you go back to the acrosses and the information that you got with the downs allows you to finish more acrosses. The same applies to the work that Willie and David and I do. Um, They'll do something and they'll, you know, come up against a, a problem and then, We'll look at the same problem from another direction and we get uh, a little bit of insight. We have one more fact and all of us pieces fall into place. So it's, uh, it's been very enjoyable working with other people um, and, and it is a huge puzzle.
2: Let me carry that crossword puzzle analogy one step further because I think it's brilliant. Some people do crossword puzzles in ink and I just say, why do you do that? The three of us in this immigration team are just enough skeptics at heart. I think we have to do our crossword puzzles in pencil because we're erasing, we're even noting that things that are written down sometimes in official records, passenger list records, Esther Farr, Scrau, we find errors. Mm. And that's, you know, when somebody puts something down in writing in a book or on a database, it then kind of creates a life of its own. It becomes the gospel truth. We're finding through this work that things aren't always the gospel truth, even though they were put pen to paper. So we are really skeptical sometimes. And yeah, it's it's healthy skepticism. And, and working with these two that share that kind of uh, perspective has really been fun.
1: That is a fantastic point because people who are looking at other genealogy resources should take note that it could just be another individual inputting information. Whereas with Icelandic Roots, if you're looking at our database and you're looking at these facts, they have been vetted by several volunteers, just like the two of you who are skeptics and want to have a source attached to it or the best possible evidence that it's true and accurate before it actually gets put in there. And you don't find that elsewhere.
2: And even once it's in there, we've got skeptics. We've got a whole Mm -hmm. whole cadre of genealogists looking at things and lots of people contributing their ancestral information that maybe conflicts with what we thought was right. And Mm. we're always... Glad to pick up the eraser and backtrack.
1: Yeah. I just want to ask a specific question to you, Dave, about the handwriting. I've n- I've seen many people note that on passenger lists, or maybe it's the immigration document, that it often, when it's country of origin and it says Iceland, it looks like Ireland. And I'm wondering, is that just because R's and C's look different back then, or is it actually an error? Do you know?
0: Well, sometimes it says Denmark too, because as you know, it was sort of a colony of Denmark at that time. Um, that's a very interesting question. And I think there's a very interesting answer. So I have this mental picture of some clerk sitting in the bowels of some building someplace, transcribing lists. And there weren't typewriters back then, at least uh, at the start of the immigration period. So this poor clerk was writing for eight hours or maybe 12 hours a day. And I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but my, my hand gets very tired. So as a result, um, you look at a page that was written at the start of the day, and it might be a little bit more clear than the uh, at the end of the day. So I think that uh, is one of the explanations for Iceland and Ireland. Um, the second is maybe the transcription process, because... Depending on what we're doing, uh, we'll sometimes take advantage of the ancestry indexing, so we'll be looking for a particular person. And uh, whoever it was that read that passenger list and was uh, transcribing it into the ancestry information is looking at it through their eyes, and they may not understand Icelandic naming conventions, or they may not understand um, the writing conventions back then, or they may be dealing with a clerk whose arm was very tired. So David mentioned that the information is all suspect, and it really is. I can't tell you the number of times uh, I don't find somebody uh, because I'm looking for a 26-year-old and it's a 20-year-old on the page. So our matching programs just don't find it. And uh, imagine writing numbers all day and, you know, you're a little bit tired and maybe that six doesn't quite look like a six by the time you get to five in the afternoon.
2: And the same holds true for census records that were transcribed in North America, even into the 20s and 30s. We see Ireland as the place of birth a lot of times when you mm. go and look at the actual record, you can see that that's a cursive R, even though it might be bent a little bit like a a C, or it, It's a C, but it kind of looks like an R perhaps. So, yeah, the mm. Ireland, Iceland thing plays out a lot of places.
1: There is a um, a graphic or a meme going around Facebook right now where they're not talking about genealogy, but you... Iceland and you see Ireland and then it's, you know, you go through the alphabet until you get from C to R and people laugh. Oh, it's so close. And it just made me think of the genealogy confusion with those two.
2: But what would we do if we didn't have those people transcribing? Millions and millions of records have been transcribed by volunteers around the world. People just sitting at their computers going through census page after page after page and typing it in. I'd rather have Ireland than nothing at all.
1: (laughs) We can figure that part out easily. Yeah. So we've covered a lot of ground and I know that you, both of you and Willie know how amazing the scope of your work is. And we've kind of summarized a little bit of what it's like for a user to benefit from what you're doing. But is there anything else to highlight that's different about, accessing Icelandic roots now than five years before you guys started?
0: Well, certainly it's uh, it's the connection. So um, in past you could find a, an ancestor and find their entry in Icelandic roots, and then uh, you might be able to look and find them up in Vestafrasgrá or you might be able to find a passenger list. Now it's there without any work. So when you look at a page, um, You can see the farm that they left from, David has connected. You can see when they left. Um, You can actually see the page reference, and you can actually go and see that yourself. Similarly, um, we have a scanned um, picture of the passenger list, which is connected. So for many people, we have two entries. One is the immigration from Iceland, and then the second is the uh, passenger list arrival uh, in New York, in Quebec, in Halifax, or wherever. So perhaps the answer is the ease. And that manifests itself when you're looking at a whole um, ancestry tree. You're looking at you know, um, hundreds of your ancestors and uh, you're able to very quickly decide who immigrated and find it, information about them without having to put in a huge amount of work to get that benefit.
2: The other thing I think that's changed brings in yet another partner to this work and that's Doug Hansen. He has geocoded all of the farm names in Iceland so you not only know the farm where they left, but you can zero in on a map and see a satellite picture of that farm and know where the farms around that are and what kind of geography they left from. And it's really exciting. One of the things that I think I'd like to see us do in the future is just like we focused on the ships that they sailed from, I'd like to do some work on building up what the ports that they left from were like. That's way down the road, but, you know, part of their journey is probably spending a couple of days on the road on a horse getting to the actual departure port, or maybe a mail ship that took them around a couple of fjords in Iceland to the port of departure. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we can still be doing, but what's happened in the last five or six years is amazing.
1: Wonderful. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners, whether they are Icelandic Roots members, maybe want to become members now, or maybe they're not Icelandic, but they're a little bit envious of this work that we've done for our genealogy and wish they could do for theirs. Is there anything else you want to highlight from the project? That could be something coming up. I mean, you talked about not knowing if you'll ever be done. (laughs) <laughs> is that true?
2: <laughs> I do think that's true. We may not be done. We may decide to put in some dummy placeholder people, um, but we don't want those just floating nebulously in the database. But one of the things that we'd like to do when we think we're at at least a stopping point is to write an academic paper about what we find. Unius Investor Far helped a big part of the story, but there's a lot more to the story that we've discovered through this work that I'd like to not have lost to time. I'd like to kind of keep a little bit of a legacy of our work alive in a paper of some kind. And I think the people of Iceland would really groove on that too.
0: So I'd like to add to what David said. And uh, I have this vision in my head of of, of Junius sitting there with these uh, recipe cards and, uh, he basically would write information on them and then over the course of time, he would sort them um, by year and he would sort them by alphabetically and he would sort them by um, the Sysla. And it was just, before the advent of computers, it was almost impossible. And where I'm going with this is that we now have um, a population of people that we can uh, draw a circle around and uh, uh, analyze with the computer. So what this allows us to do is um relatively easily, we can find lots of statistics, and I'm not sure what we're going to find, but uh, I would be interested in knowing the size of the emigrating groups over the years. Um, there's a little bit in Vestor Ground now about, uh, by year, uh, where people emigrated from. But uh, we now, because this is all computerized, have the ability to ask lots of questions. And I'm not sure what we're going to find, but I am sure that uh, once we start that analysis, there'll be interesting Um facts that emerge.
1: Yes, I would be very eager to read that paper because I would love to know like the overarching trends and like some of the surprises that maybe don't match what some of the generalized history maybe says or maybe it confirms it. I I'm curious to know, so I I look forward to your paper.
2: I just turned 62 and I don't know how old Dave is.
0: Oh, I'm No, we got to get this done. So-
2: we got to get this done one of these years or we got to outlast that work
1: Mm
0: -hmm. so so maybe one thing that i can maybe add in conclusion i'm just thinking about this now is just uh, you talk about how the work that we're doing is complementary but it really all comes together so when you look at icelandic roots in total you know what we do with our members and how they connect within themselves um, how they um, find information on the database, Uh, Doug's work on places, Willie, David, and my work on emigration, the work that the media team does, uh, bringing together census information from Iceland and from um, North America. Um, All of these things all contribute to this story, and it's really the story of the Icelanders. So um, when you look at the work that we're doing, it really is only a piece of a much larger whole
1: yeah it's a big it's a big operation Icelandic roots and it's got lots of moving pieces going and incredible things and every year there's there's just something some new feature or some new collection of history and insights it's it's amazing to be a part of and it's amazing to you know be involved in and also watch from the sidelines and just enjoy the wonderful work so
2: Well, it's people like you, too, that help communicate the story of all everybody's hard work and what we've built here. And thank you for doing these podcasts and being part of a great communications piece.
1: So I'm going to thank you both for taking the time to sit with me. And I look forward to see what more is coming out of the immigration data.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you.